Hello and welcome to the State News Sports Roundtable. I am your host as always, Eli McCowan, and today I am joined by Jared Ramsey and Sam Sklar to break down Michigan State's win over Michigan. How we doing, boys? Good. I mean, a lot of very exciting times here around East Lansing. Big win for Michigan State in the talk of the town. It's been a crazy weekend, and I mean, there's a lot going on right now, but Michigan State's rolling. Yeah, crazy weekend was an understatement. I mean, from to from the game itself to the post-game celebration, East Lansing really went through it this weekend. And, I mean, the Spartans came out 8-0 with victory over their rivals. Improbable victory. It was gr- one of the best games I've ever seen. And, yeah, just keep marching, keep chopping it to Purdue next weekend. It's a 37 to 33 victory for, for Michigan State. They trailed by 16 points at one point in the second half, came back to win that one on the back of which this is maybe the most cra- the craziest thing is that Michigan State in regulation was able to score two two point conversions and Penn State couldn't do it in like nine overtimes. Was it nine? Yeah, nine. I, I still can't get over that game. I'm sorry. But I, I, I wanted to talk about this game. I mean, this was a game that felt like Jared wrote about it in his column. You can find that on the state news about this keep chopping mentality that Michigan State has and how this is a game where Michigan State felt like from the get-go, as soon as Andrell Anthony, the East Lansing native, caught that ball and ran for 90 yards for a touchdown. It just felt like the win was kind of out of the – not out of the sails, Michigan State. I wouldn't say that Michigan State looked deflated at any point in this game. They kept fighting the whole way. But it felt like the narrative of this game, once Andrell Anthony, the East Lansing native, started catching touchdown passes in the first half and things were kind of going that way. If he had gotten one more touchdown, he was pretty close to like that Randy Moss stat line that like that's so iconic in the photo. But this felt like a game that Michigan had and should have had. It's a game they're probably going to be looking back at the film on and say, how did we not? Jared, I'll get to you. I mean, just like, what does this mean for the Michigan State team going forward to be able to win a game where really it felt like at no point in time until the end of the game should they have won this one? I mean, it – it's hard to understate what this win means for MSU. They, it showed that they they can win it in a different way. This was a comeback victory off of their offense and timely plays from the defense. Like you said, it looked like in the first half, Michigan was the far more talented team. MSU really sold out to stop Michigan's run game. And Michigan answered with Cade McNamara, just picking the team apart over the middle against the man-to-man, especially on third down when MSU is blitzing because MSU couldn't get pressure. So it, it just seemed like everything was building up against the Spartans. And it was kind of get, seemed like Michigan looked like more talented team in the first half, but that it kind of shifted on its head in the third quarter. And, and I think I remember, I think this was in the third quarter when Peyton Thorne got sacked on like the two yard line and fumbled and, and Michigan recovered it in the end zone. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I'm pretty sure that would have made it a three score game instead of a two score game. Is, is that correct? I think that was right at the end of the second quarter. And then they ended up get the, getting the field goal instead. Okay, yeah. But I remember when that play initially happened and they they ended up going back and giving the ball back to Michigan State after they ruled that Payton Thorne was down before fumbling. That kind of felt deflating. But then, you know, they obviously ended up only getting a field goal from it. And then later on going, Michigan taking a 16-point lead. And it really did feel like it was over from, I mean, in the entire stadium, Spartan Stadium was very quiet. The deep end was not rocking like it was, you know, kind of all year long or just previously in the game. But 
you know, they found a way, they kept clawing, kept chopping. And, you know, we've, we've, it's the first time this season that we've seen Michigan state come back from a big deficit and, and win the game, you know, I'd say like it relates most closely to the Nebraska game when Michigan state won overtime, they were trailing pretty late. And then Jaden Reed had that punt return for a touchdown to force overtime. You know, I can't say that this was a similar game to that because it, this is probably was one of the best games that we're going to see in college football all season long, just back and forth, back and forth. I mean, I, I think that also even just for Michigan, there even though they lost, there were some good signs for them that they could sort of take away and, you know, not – it's not like they got killed because they, you know, they played pretty well too. I felt like for me this was a game where – I, I do feel like Michigan is going to look back and be like, man, there were just, it felt like so many times they had times where it was like, all right, if they make a play here, the game's over. If they make a play here, the game's over. I felt like to me, this game came down to coaching and it came down to one simple thing for me, in my opinion. And I was saying it from the time the game was started. I said that if Michigan continues to not make a commitment one way or another on a quarterback throughout this game or throughout the season, they're, it's going to come to bite them. And in reality, that was what happened. Now, there were rumors that, that I did hear that Cade McNamara had a little bit of an injury issue at one point. But regardless, I, I, I come from this philosophy that if you have a quarterback that's playing well, you don't pull him out of the game. I, I don't care if you have J.J. McCarthy who can run the ball and give you a little more elements of the offense. I feel like when you start switching QBs and be like it's part of our game plan, at some point the, the movement, the rhythm of an offense can kind of get shaken you know, the whole offense has to adjust, you know, the way that JJ McCarthy throws and the way that Cade McNamara throws and runs the offense is going to be different. The whole offense has to adjust when they see that guy come on the field. And I felt like at the end of the day, that was kind of what ended up happening. JJ McCarthy goes to hand the ball off. There's a miscommunication with the snap. The ball comes out, Jacob Ponishuk lands on it. And that ended up pretty much, you know, propelling Michigan state to a victory at the end of the day. And I, just, I don't know what you guys think on that. I, are you, do you guys agree with me or disagree with me on that? I think that was part of it. Obviously, the McNamara was getting seen by the trainer. They had to put McCarthy in. It was started to mist, and he fumbled the ball in one of the biggest moments of the game, and that let MSU get right back into it. I think another big factor was the aggression. Like you said, I think coaching was a big difference in this game. Michigan settled for four field goals. Two of them came on fourth and two and fourth and three, and I think and it was a four-point game for Michigan. I mean, they were getting two, three yards to carry it. It's not like their running game wasn't effective. It was still, it just wasn't as explosive as it was before. And so I think if they were more aggressive in the red zone, they could have put a touchdown on the board instead of one of those four field goals. And then, I mean, down 16, MSU had a chance to kick a field goal, go thir down 13 with like 20 minutes left. Instead, they go for it, find Jaden Reed on a, a fly route. To the, he makes an amazing play. It was Peyton Thorne's best throw. And MSU scores a touchdown because of that, cuts to a one-score game. I think just the coaching in general, in the stark difference in how Tucker and how Harbaugh approached those big moments was a really big difference. Yeah, and going back to what Eli was saying about McNamara and just the whole quarterbacks thing, you know, I, I do agree with you, Eli. I think that they do sort of just have to commit to one guy, and, I, and that should be McNamara. He, I mean, he was having really a career game yesterday – or not yesterday, Saturday – he was playing really, really well. And that was one of the questions coming into the game is whether or not McNamara could make big time throws or put up big time stats when the running game for Michigan was was stalling. And that's kind of what happened. Michigan State, you know, they didn't really shut down the running game, but 
they they did a pretty good job, I would say, of containing it and not letting off a ton of big runs. And McNamara was making a lot of really nice throws. And so, yes, on that one play in the fumble, McNamara was in the injury tent. That's what Harbaugh said after the game. But I think they do just got to stick with him. I mean, you can maybe use J.J. McCarthy in some, like, goal line situations and packages that we've seen with some other, you know, colleges and stuff in the nation. But I think that McNamara just needs to be the guy. And, and after the game, he was very, very pissed off, uh, along with pretty much every player on Michigan. And I don't know if that was maybe also just kind of played a part in it and that maybe he kind of feels like he, he should be the guy. And, I mean, I do. But and, and one other thing that I think that was kind of a, a, a factor in this game was Michigan's inability to stop, you know, Kenneth Walker and Michigan State's running game because, you know, coming into this game, Michigan had the number two scoring defense in the country. I, I think it was 14.3 points per game or something like that they were they were allowing, and Michigan State put up 37 points. And, you know, it's Michigan- really a day offensively that wasn't that great for – I mean, like outside of the run game, it was, Peyton Thorne had those two interceptions early. This wasn't really an offense that, like, throwing the football – outside of the drives that were they scored that looked good in the drive, I think there's a stat out there that does a, does a, an analytics point on offenses and wasting yards and yards in which they have scored. I believe Michigan state was well above 80% in that, that category. This was an offense that if they weren't scoring the ball, they, they didn't look good. They stalled out. And that was because the Michigan defense was able to stop Kenneth Walker, getting him third and long situations and Peyton Thorne couldn't make a or the wide receivers couldn't make a play. Yeah. It was a lot of feast. It's a lot of feast and famine for MSU. And it's been that way all year. I mean, even like past games when they struggled against Indiana and the second half against Rutgers, it was either a touchdown or zero yards, three and out. And I think that's, Kind of a testament just to the big playability, but also to some of the struggles up up front on the offensive line too. And I think it also just sort of comes back to the even if you factor in Michigan State's defense here of the whole bend don't break, we let you drive down the field, but we'll hold you to a field goal, and that's kind of what what happened with what you're saying with Michigan's you know settling for field goals versus Michigan State being able to score touchdowns. It's kind of interesting philosophy, the field goal thing. I, I'm always someone who likes to get the points on the board, but it did feel like when you were sitting there watching that game, you just felt like at some point this could really come back to bite him. I mean, if they literally just go for it on one and it hits, I mean, that's another four points on the board. It's an overtime, and who knows what happens, you know, the way this game was going. And, in, and with the new overtime rule, who knows how it would have went anyway. I mean, it, it seems a little crazy to me. But this was a game, too, for me that felt like this – solidified my thoughts on this defense that it's not pretty it's not beautiful we talked about it but like it is a good defense even if statistically it is not I don't know what you guys think about that but even though it on paper doesn't or on the stat sheet it might not show up but this defense consistently does just enough to make to keep keep the offense in it and allow them to get possessions and do some really good things yeah I I completely agree I think like the offense is it's a very boomer bust type of group. They're either getting sacks, tackles for loss, turnovers, or they're giving up. They're giving up yards, letting teams get field goals, but they're keeping teams out of the end zone and most of the time. And that's the most important thing. And it doesn't matter if you let someone throw for four hundred yards if you 
provide enough stops in the right times to get the win. And that's complimentary football like Tucker talks about. And it's really on display and people can laugh at it all they want, but I mean, he's right. The team's playing complimentary football. They're getting stops and scores at the exact right time. And they're playing as a cohesive unit rather than as the offense and as the defense. It's also just really interesting to be the, you could say what you want about what Tucker says and all the, 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 the phrases he's got. This team buys into it. It's really unbelievable. How, like, they use all this stuff. It's unbelievable to me. It's crazy. He's got a new phrase every week. I mean, today he was talking about November madness. You know, sort of like a March madness. Tom Izzo, this is now a football school sort of thing. But <laughs> it's honestly kind of entertaining to see what, what he comes up with each week. But, yeah, they, they do buy into it. And, I mean, with the defense, I think it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't watched Michigan State play why the Michigan State defense is good. Because, like you were saying, on paper, the, the, you know, all the yards and stuff they give up, it doesn't look like a good statistic. But when you watch them play, you, you know, it's either, like you were saying, it's boom or bust. And I think something that's kind of interesting is pretty much every single game, there's a one different player who kind of stands out who you maybe weren't expecting. Like, obviously, on Saturday, Charles Brantley had that huge interception to ice the game. He was a player that kind of, you know, played a lot in the beginning of the year kind of saw his, his snap count dip down a little bit, but played a good amount on Saturday and obviously had one of the biggest plays of the game. And then even Justin White, who I'm not even sure has had played in this year up until Saturday, but he had I, some – I looked. It's his first snaps of the year. Yeah, first snaps of the year. And he played significant snaps. He, had, he came in on a corner blitz and hit McNamara to force an incompletion. That was a really big play of the game too. And it's just – you never know. They keep it. You keep you guessing, which I think is a strength of the defense. What Tucker said after the game, too, I mean, or just looking at it, Justin White's a guy who was a track star in high school and had a heck of a lot of speed. I mean, what a call. If you're going to do a quarter blitz, you get the fastest guy out there and get to the quarterback the fastest, and you got that guy. I mean, that that was an incredible play calling decision. I don't know if that was by Tucker, Scotty Hazleton, or who made that call, but heck of a call from the defense and made the – a big, big stop when they needed it. But yeah, and I think I think some of the numbers were really exaggerated against MSU secondary. I think the MSU secondary had a really good game against Michigan outside of the two touchdowns that Andrew Anthony, because they were left in a lot of situations on third down where they had to blitz because MSU's front four was not getting it done in terms of generating pressure. And so there was a lot of times where Quaveras Crouch and Cal Halliday were going in trying to get McNamara down and it was left Angelo Gross or Darius Snow, Michael Dowell, those nickelbacks covering those crossing routes. And that's really where Michigan started having a lot of success is when MSU was blitzing and kind of left the secondary out to dry in those one-on-ones. Yeah. The, it, the tight end, Eric all had a heck of a day. I mean, he had to have close to double digit catches and most of them bad. came on third down. It was every time. And credit to Kate McNamara again. I mean, he he played. He didn't hit the big play. He didn't hit necessarily like the deep balls in this game. But like consistently, he found the guy, the, the safe play, the check down, the guy who could make go get the go get the first out. Consistently, he did a very very good job of that. Well, Michigan did a very good job of game planning and just getting in third and short situations too to put them in that spot. 
Michigan State didn't do a good enough job getting them in third long spots and allowed Michigan to really just continue to move down the field. Like, and like you guys said, the run game wasn't really bad. I mean, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, they both had some runs to get it in second and short situations, third and short situations to kind of keep their chains moving. And I thought they did a really good job of that. But ultimately, Michigan State ended up coming out, this, coming out in front in this one somehow. I, I still don't really believe that it happened, if I'm being honest. It's still a little weird saying that. But Michigan State now – I don't believe this. Still can't. They're 8-0 on the season. This is a team that the Vegas over-under was at four and a half wins for. It actually opened at four, by the way, and got bet up to four and a half. So what I wanted to move into here now is like, you know, taking a little bit more of an outlook for the rest of the season. They have four games left. They'll travel to Purdue this weekend. They'll come back home to Maryland, and they'll travel to the Horseshoe at Ohio State, and then they will go to Penn State to kind of wrap up the season around Thanksgiving, I believe. So I want to throw it to you guys. We have four games remaining this season. And now we have postseason things that are in mind that I don't think were in play before, including after before, until after this game, really, including the Big Ten title game and bowl games in particular, which is what I want to talk about. And Jared, I will swing it to you first. Your thoughts on what this team is going to be doing going forward into the postseason, what bowl you think this team could potentially end up in come January, December and January in the holiday season? Well, the fact that bowls in January even being considered for this Michigan State team is crazy to think about. I mean, when we talked about it before the season, we were like six to eight wins max for this team. They'd be playing in the pinstripe bowl or whatever low level big 10 bowl that and we might be getting a rematch wake force to michigan state both undefeated can we get them in the playoff and get a pinstripe bowl rematch the storylines would be crazy both programs two years removed connected through kenneth walker but completely different paths that'd be really crazy but i there's a lot of games left for both the demon deacons and the spartans before that point I think I do still think Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. That'll probably be the Big Ten East Championship game in three weeks in Columbus. But it looks like right now, if MSU can take care of business against the other three teams, which they're better than on paper, then it looks like they can be in the Rose Bowl consideration or another New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that we're even talking about them possibly making the college football playoff. And, and we're recording this on Monday night. So tomorrow we'll get the first um, college football playoff rankings. And I, I do think there's a pretty good chance that Michigan State is inside that top four. There are kind of rumors going around that they might even be as high as number two, which I don't, I don't really know if I would put them that high. But I do still agree that I think that Ohio State is the better team right now, even though they did lose to Oregon earlier in the season. But just the way that they are playing, I think, makes it very difficult for any team in the Big Ten to really topple them. I know Penn State, you know, gave them a good run for about three, three and a half quarters on Saturday. But, I mean, the pretty much if they're, how they're slotted right now is to make the Rose Bowl. And I, I – would agree that I would think that right now my prediction would also be for Michigan State to make the Rose Bowl. I think at this point they're almost a guarantee to make one of the New Year's Bowls unless they, you know, lose to Purdue or to uh, Maryland. And then I guess maybe depending on Penn State. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a team that is going to get the double-digit wins this season at this point. And 
I could see Maryland and Purdue definitely giving this team trouble. I do expect them to be, they're going to be favored in both games, but I definitely do think that Michigan State's going to have their, I, I do think Mel Tucker has been putting an emphasis. He could say that he's never heard of a trap game. You could tell he is making sure they're not falling into a trap game when he's like start going into the press conference and listing off double digit time, like amount of times Purdue has beaten or beaten a ranked team at home. You know, like you can tell he knows. He knows what this game that this is a game where Mich- coming off a big win, things get a little too high. And Purdue's Purdue's got actually, you know, the defense Car- George Carolaftis on the defensive line. They've got some dudes on that defense that actually can play. Purdue can throw the ball. Purdue can be a little interesting and be a little tricky. And I think Maryland has a little bit of that too, where they're a very talented team. I don't know how much of a well rounded overall team they are but they are an extremely talented team that I think does have a lot of talent and Tala Tagovailoa is a very hit or miss quarterback and a lot of their game plan got to depend on how he plays those two games are going to get interesting I do the Ohio State and the horseshoe I just feel like that game is still going to be a measuring stick to kind of finally be that bar for Michigan State to be like let's take it back a notch a little bit I still feel like for me, I still feel like there's just night and day between those two programs, even though Ohio State this year hasn't been that juggernaut that they have been in the past, and even though really nobody has. The Penn State game to me was a game from the beginning of the year I thought was in play for them at home, Thanksgiving. It's probably going to be one of those like noon games, it feels like. Maybe it is a night game, considering it could be a pretty big game when Penn State comes to town, but that game feels like it could be a little slow and we're, but it feels like Michigan state should have that one. Cause I just feel like Penn state's just not playing well at the right time. This does feel like a new year six team to me. We'll have to see it's the Rose bowl. I feel like this is going to be like a 10 and two team probably or 11 and one heading into bowl selection time. And if, if they're 11 and one and they lose to Ohio state, this is a team that is going to be in the Rose bowl. But if this is the team that is 10 and two, it will be interesting to see how that kind of plays out with the winner for the big 10 West. Cause if Minnesota wins out for you there, Sam, goes to 10 and 2 and loses to Ohio State, they have an argument for the Rose Bowl as well. So, and I think, and if Iowa, you know, wins out and does what they need to do, then they can kind of be in that same spot once again, too. So it will be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. But this does feel like a New Year's Six team to me. Uh, Minnesota will get killed if they play in Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. I, I will tell you that right now. Right now, the Big Ten Championship would be MSU and Minnesota, which would be a, an electric game. It would tear my heart apart. <laughs> it is going to be like, could you just the, there'd be so much that would make that game amazing. And I, I do, it is going to be interesting to see who comes out of the West right now. I'm very interested to see that. It, it's a mess. I oh, still yeah. feel like Iowa's coming out to me, even though I, I I'm not a big believer in this Iowa team. It just feels like that they're going to grind out some games here down the stretch. But time they play out. next. They play in two weeks. Iowa, Minnesota. It's going to be interesting. Wisconsin still alive too. Yeah. Somehow Wisconsin and Grandmers are still alive. They are. I didn't think they had a pulse a month ago, but here we are. Minnesota's just—it's impressive what they've been able to do because when they've got, like, I think, like four running backs now that have had season-ending injuries and yet they're still like one of the better rushing teams in the I don't know if it's the country or at least the Big Ten and their defense is playing really well even they're though they're a tremendous offensive they have a great offensive line yeah I, I, and I forget his name the guy that's like six eight four hundred pounds 
Daniel Faala Lele. I don't know if I yeah. pronounced his last name right, but I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's got a monster line. But since we're talking about the postseason, I wanted to wrap up the podcast with a little bit more of a national perspective and go and place a pretender or contender with some of the top teams of the nation. And we're going to go down the AP top 25. We're going to go – I'm going to pick some different teams here, I think. I'm not going to pick every single team in the top 10, but I think we're going to go through the list. First, Jared, I'll start with you, and I'll have you guys both give your take on this team. I want to – I'll start with Georgia, but I want to make this one quick. Contender or pretender? I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to say contender. It's probably the best defense I've ever seen in college football. Sam? Sam? Contender, I don't think I need to say anything else. No. And for, for context here, I think this is contender to win a national title at this point. Can they yeah. make the playoff? Is this a team that can make the playoff and make a run? I think is the question. And I, I would have to agree. Georgia has the best defense I've ever seen. And they're somehow putting up 40 points with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. So here we are. Number two in the AP top 25 is Cincinnati. Sam, we'll swing it back to you this time. God, this is such a tough one. I, I, I feel like I have to say contender just because that they are undefeated and have played at least some good teams at least earlier in the season. But I don't say that very confidently when I say contender. I say contender too. Their schedule is not much worse than Michigan State's. Like if you take out the Michigan game, MSU schedule is right there with Indiana's, or not Indiana, Cincinnati. They've both played Indiana. But I think they're a contender. I think Desmond Ritter's legit as one of the better quarterbacks in college football. I struggle with this one. Because I love Cincinnati, been on the Cincinnati train for a while. I think they deserve to be in the playoff. They finished undefeated, unlike some people. Because believe it or not, there is a contingency of people out there that don't want Cincinnati in the playoff. I, if, you, if you're one of those people, you're weird. I, I'm just going to say, you're weird. If you don't want to believe in a team who's in the, on the Power Five, you're weird. I'm going to say contender. Uh, Jared sold me a little bit more on it. The schedule for Michigan and Michigan State and Cincinnati have been kind of the same. I don't know that Michigan State's really a contender for any of this, but I do think that Cincinnati has a very good defense and is very well coached. They played it close with some teams, but I mean, Michigan State's played it close with some teams too. Oklahoma's played it close with some teams. Ohio State struggled against Tulsa this year. I think Georgia on offense has some weaknesses if Stetson Bennett continues to be the quarterback even though I do think they have the best defense I've ever seen. I feel like Georgia's far and away the favorite. I think this is the year if a team's going to make like make it to like the title game and potentially compete, Cincinnati's – this is Cincinnati's year to do it. So, number three is Alabama. Jared. I mean, like, it's hard not to say contender because it's Alabama and it's Nick Saban. But that defense is pretty bad, at least, and especially for Alabama standards. But even, like, national standards, I think they're going to have a really tough time against Georgia in the SEC championship, and they need to win that game if they want to make the playoff. So I'm going to have to say pretender, and I feel like an idiot saying pretender about Alabama. Sam, follow that up. Boy, I don't think I can agree with you on that. I think that Alabama is certainly a contender, even though they do have that one loss on the year. And I think, you know, the first step to make to being a to winning a national championship is making the college football playoff. And I think that if it came down to a debate within the committee of Alabama versus Cincinnati, I think that there's a decent chance that Alabama might get the edge, 
just because they're, you know, Alabama and not the not you know the group of five team that Cincinnati is. I, I'm gonna have to go contender. Like Jared said, that defense has been a disappointment this year. Not not just from Alabama standards, but this was supposed to be a very good defense in terms of Alabama standards. This was supposed to be a very good defense, and they have not looked that great. I haven't seen enough of them against like they, their schedule has not been that difficult so far. They've got a lot of you know the SEC in 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 totality hasn't been that fantastic outside of Georgia and Alabama this year. So it's I, I really don't know how to judge this Alabama team right now. I think the ultimate measuring stick is going to be the SEC championship game for them because I feel like they're going to roll through everyone they have left. I think Auburn's a solid football team. I don't think they're great. Um, they're going to play them at the end of the season, but I just don't feel like they have a lot of challenges. I don't think we're really going to know the SEC title game. But until now, until then, I'm going to say they're a contender. Oh, Knicks will prove me right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma, Sam. You know, they've had an interesting season. But I think at this point, you have to also say that they're a contender just the way that, you know, when Spencer Rattler got the boot pretty much to the bench that they've been playing pretty well. And I mean, I, I know they had some struggles against Kansas recently, but I, I think that the just the way that this offense of Oklahoma is sort of rejuvenated and found itself, I think that it, it can compete with anyone in the country right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say contender too, just because I don't think there's anyone left on their schedule that can beat them. I think Oklahoma State's good, but I don't think they'll, they're good enough to stop Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's had scares almost every single week since week one, dating back to almost losing to Tulane. Caleb Williams has been the savior. They looked bad in the game, most of that game against Texas, but still won because of him. It's just, it, it's one of the more, weird teams in the country but they're undefeated so and they have the inside track in a pretty easy conference so i'll have to say contender i'm gonna be the one that goes outside of that and say pretender they have the bye week this week they're nine and oh right now but after this week they have baylor then they have iowa state and then they have oklahoma state and i think they're gonna drop one of those games if not multiple I really don't think that this Oklahoma team, this defense has been a disappointment when they were supposed to be the best defense that Oklahoma's has supposed to be an improvement. And, and quite frankly, in no way, shape or form should Kansas be able to hang with you. Iowa state had a line of minus 38 and did not cover that. And they, and, and Kansas couldn't cover that. So if you're, if you're Oklahoma, I understand you have games, but I'm just not a believer in this team. I think they're in these next three games, they have the, their toughest games ahead of them, and they have struggled in a lot of games, and they've been playing games way too close. I think that there's a game where Caleb Williams kind of shows that freshman mistake thing of his, and maybe and it's the, just they're going to get slipped up, and I feel like they're going to – the Big 12, this is going to be the year they do not have a team in the playoff this year. I just think the Big 12 is not that good. But, Does uh, – does the Big 12 get a team if Oklahoma drops one of these next three but still wins the Big 12 championship? No. 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 All just right. You've seen what the opinion was. I'm going to skip over Michigan State for the time being. We'll wrap up with that one. We're going to do rapid fire with these next five. We'll start with Ohio State. Contender. Contender. 
have to also go with contender. I think that this defense in particular has started to figure it out. They've stopped doing that man-to-man. We're going to line up a single high safety. I think that they're starting to figure that one out a little bit more, say, schemed up. Oregon. Pretender. Pretender as well. Oregon is another team that I'm weird about. But I think this is a team that still can make the playoff. But I'm going to say pretender in terms of the national titles race. Notre Dame. (laughs) Biggest pretender on the list. Yeah, that seems kind of easy to me, pretender. Number eight, and I think they might be the weakest top 10 team of all time. This is not a good football team. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that they were number eight. Number eight in the country. Right. And they now. don't have a tough game left. Just the ultimate chaos. Can we just watch Georgia absolutely just slaughter Notre Dame if they make slide in, if like everyone else like just beats up at each other? I'll I, be I sick to my play. stomach and if Notre Dame makes the playoff. Michigan. I think they're up. I mean, for national title, I have to say pretender, but they're after seeing them this weekend, they're definitely the third best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, pretender. They will probably lose to Ohio State like they always do, and I think that will drop them out of playoff consideration. So, I I am going to say this. I do think this is the year where Michigan can actually contend with Ohio State, and I do think there is still a scenario in which Michigan State loses to an Ohio State team and maybe if they maybe has something happen, maybe they drop another if they lose two games here in that stretch, which isn't that crazy considering Maryland and Purdue are there and then having Penn State and Ohio State to follow the end of the season. There's still a scenario where Michigan could very well find themselves. They, they If they continue to play good ball and can beat Ohio State, Michigan State's got a tough schedule ahead of them. They can make it in the Big Ten thing. They can go there. And I don't think they're a bad football team. I really don't. I'm not going to say they're a contender. I'm going to say they're a pretender, but I will say going forward, still watch out for them. I do think that they are a good football team, and I do think that they actually did figure some things out against Michigan State this year. Wake Forest. Contender. Oh, are you serious? Who's going to win the ACC? Who else is going to win the ACC? I don't know, but I'm going to go pretender. I still don't really buy, buy them. I don't know. Sam Hartman's on the Maxwell list with Kenneth Walker. They could have had the quarterback running back duo, but Kenneth decided to leave. If Kenneth Kenneth Walker were still on Wake Forest, then maybe I would say contender. I Wake Forest, though, when you look at the schedule, obviously they still have Clemson to face, but this is not a team that should lose a game. They're gonna win, like they should win the ACC as long as they don't. Is they if they can beat Clemson, and if 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 Wake Forest is thirteen and zero, wins the ACC, they're gonna make the playoff. You right. have to put them in. You, you have, have to put them in. in. That's the what only happens? reason I said contender. What happens if there are five undefeated teams and will Cincinnati get bounced, you think? They probably will, wouldn't get in. That it would be a debate, I think, between Cincinnati and Wake Forest. So if, like, Georgia, Oklahoma, Michigan State won out and, the, and Wake Forest and Cincinnati were the other two, that would be the debate. That would be that would cause chaos. That's a very real scenario. I think the most unlikely thing in that scenario is Michigan State also going undefeated, but that's not unrealistic to think about. I, I'm going to say that Wake Forest is a contender because if they go undefeated, I don't know how you keep them out. Will they get slaughtered by Georgia as the four seed in that scenario? Yes, but if they go 13-0, I think they deserve a spot, and this is why we need to expand. But let's end with this one. Jared, Jared, I'll let you finish. Sorry. I was just going to say in that scenario, it would be Luke Fickle playing MSU in the playoff. It was Cincinnati versus MSU. Be very fun. He was very close to being the coach. That'd be a very fun game. 
But let's end on this one. Michigan State, pretender or contender? I mean, contender. There's the last undefeated team in the Big Ten. I do think they'll be an underdog going into Ohio State in three weeks. They should take care of business in the two weeks leading up to that game. But, I mean, they've surprised us every single step of the way so far. And if they go down and win in Columbus, that would just be yet another surprise in one of the craziest seasons ever. Yeah, I think I have to go with the contender. I mean, they've proved us wrong almost every single week. And so I don't really feel like I can bet against them again. And so I think that just, you know, the way that they're playing on all sides of the ball, complimentary football, that I think that they can compete with, you know, anyone in the country right now, even Georgia. I'm going to have to go pretender on this one. I I just, I look at this team and I know that they've been winning games close, but like I kind of say the same thing about Oklahoma where at some point it's not going to happen. And I think I, I'm not counting Purdue or Maryland out of this yet. I think that they're, those are two teams that are going to be very difficult to play and can both play very explosive and can do some good things against you. And I think that all that Ohio State game, I still think to me is going to be a doozy of a game for Michigan State. I just think there's a lot big talent difference there, but time will tell. Here's to see. One last thing before we go. UTSA contender. All I have to say. Oh, they they could be the next Cincinnati. Maybe two years down the line, if they're on like a 30-game winning streak, we have to put the Roadrunners in. Jeff Trailer just got a big contract extension. He isn't going anywhere either. He's signed in until 2031. He's like the second or third highest group of five paid coach now. He has a $7.5 million buyout for the next two years, or the next year, I believe, for this upcoming year. He's not going anywhere. Meet me, baby. TCU wants him bad. TCU wants him bad. They're not getting him. They're uh, they're not going to pay a $7.5 million buyout. Yeah, it would not be smart. That's a lot. Yeah. Feels like Sonny Dykes is going to be their guy probably out of, out of SMU, but time will tell. It'll be interesting. But until then, put the road runners in the playoffs, you cowards. Let's do it. But that'll do it for us here on the State News Sports Roundtable. I want to thank Jared and Sam for joining me today. We'll try and catch you guys as soon as possible, hopefully next week after Michigan State takes on Purdue. And until then, we'll talk to you soon.